What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Hindsightless, the sporadic podcast where I talk about life, role-playing games, or whatever else might be running around inside of my head. But mostly role-playing games, because they're old. Well, not really, because 50 years isn't old at all. Anyway, let's get into the show. Welp, I broke my nighttime eating fast last night for the first time. I went over a month uh, and I'm right back on the train, so no big deal. It was an intentional hiccup. It had been a long week. It's going to be a long couple weeks. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm hungry. It's past seven. I'm, not, I'm doing it this time. And if it makes anybody feel any better, I did break it with the best burger you can get in Seattle. It's a place called Burger Masters. They have a thing called the Burger Melt, which is just an amazing, amazing burger cheese two beef patties uh sauteed onions melty cheese all over it uh i added jalapenos and pickles and more onions man with the blackberry chocolate milkshake whoo get out of town get out of town son anyway (laughs) yeah so that's that was my day yesterday you know i did a bunch of RPG prep work, which is some of my favorite RPG stuff to do. I love, I love prepping and thinking about the game in between games. Yeah, so I did that, and now it's uh, Sunday at the time of recording, and I'm just kind of kicking back. I thought I put an episode together. I got some calls. I got a couple calls about uh, ancient ancient humanity ancient times got some calls about that got some calls from minion that have been sitting in the sitting in the queue for a while about conan not being a static character uh what else what else is on tap i don't know that that might be all of it for now we'll see where we end up but let's get into some talk about uh well no let's get into talk about conan first because it's been a while since we talked about that so let's hear from minion about conan Hey, Manion, also known as Rob here. Uh, Confessions of a Timorous Bushy podcast, all that stuff. Uh, I had to call in again this time about Conan. Um, I agree Conan is not a static character, static character, and I agree for two reasons. Uh, one is the reason you mentioned that he develops through stories, you know, d- depending on his age. That's, you know, ov- an obvious one, really, if you know anything about Conan. The second point is more kind of gen- general, I suppose. Is anybody a static character in... A dynamic situation. So the the assumption here is that people are somehow separate from their environment. That they they are just there. They just do stuff. You know, they're free agents. Um, they may be free agents, but to what extent does the does the environment around them have an effect on them? Now in Conan, very obviously, the situations are quite uh, unusual. Okay, I'll go on to another post thing. So I think by saying Conan is static, you're also saying he's passive. Um, Or or are you? Um, I think you are. Conan is an unusual character in an unusual situation. That's the whole point of, you know, the pulp fiction. Now, in in the fiction, he is very, very much the opposite of static. He is absolute motion um he he his mind his his actions are always uh, in motion um and i think it's impossible to say he is static he is um fascinating 
um, and he's multifaceted. Uh, he is not simply um, brawn. He is also quite funny um, and sad and, and an interesting character all round. Given that many of these stories are, you know, 10, 15, 20 pages in length. So that's what I have to say on the matter. Cheers. Cheers to you, Rob, for those calls, man. Uh, it's not the last you have to say on the matter, but we'll get to those in a second. Yeah, dude, I, I totally agree with you. Like, Conan is motion, right? Like, he's always doing something, thinking. And then when you string the stories together, uh, you, you get a feeling of the growth he's made as, you know, as a character, as a person in that world, as a real person in the fictitious world, you know? Uh, and that's that's what kind of blew me away about that post because I was like, "What are you talking about, man?" Like, of course, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, the post did have uh, he was talking about growth and change and character arcs and stuff. Um, and since you mentioned character arcs in your next messages, let's get to those now. Uh, number three, uh, sod it, I've got another thing to say. I think there's also hinges in part around the the concept of the arc, the character arc, the story, the narrative. And this is something that has become very, you know, much the, the, the standard of the industry. Um, and people see it as, you know, an all, all kind of... Uh, this kind of binding, <laughs> binding force, this concept that is... Uh, unassailable but in fact um uh, you know the arc really is that really natural do people develop like an, a story arc you know is history a, pro a simple progress from a to b as if it's rewritten pre-planned pre-ordained i like not to think so <laughs> I, I hope that is not the case i like to see things as being somewhat um planned but also very chaotic and it's hard to see um something in the character story. Sorry, I started to fade out in the end there. Um, I think the whole idea is that just like the word rosebud on on an old um, man's lips, you know, a dying man's lips, it's really hard to go back and to find out what the significance of these things are. What is the significance of a single human life? And is there really, is it really possible to sum it up in a simple story, in a single story? And the answer should be probably not, hopefully not, unless you're trying to sell something, unless you're trying to push a certain type of story, because I think human beings are a lot more complicated than that, or, if you like, a lot more simple than that. Um, and I don't think the story uh, really sums up human life. Uh, narratives and fiction don't sum up human life. That's all I have to say, probably this time. All right, I hope that's not too long. Yeah, dude. Yeah, humans are very complex animals. We are absolutely that. And to put a human life into, like, a character arc, I don't think really works because there's so many ups and downs and chaos. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know, you can take little pieces and chunks from a person's life just like you can from a character in a book and build build a story arc you know it's like oh look they started here like you know back in 2002 
Joe moved to Seattle and over the past 20 years, here's the arc his story has taken, you know, first he ended up moving to Ballard and he lived there for a while working at a restaurant. Then that restaurant closed and he ended up going back to school and getting his degree. And then he had to move out to Ballard, out of Ballard and ended up moving to Greenwood and he graduated from university and then he got this job and now it looks like he might be moving back to Ballard now so it's like <laughs> you could take a little you could take chunks and build character arcs but as like you know us humans our whole life spanning however long it spans it's it's too crazy for that right to put into a single story you could write volumes about any person in the world like they're they're interesting people are really interesting everybody's got a story to tell and that's only their perspective you could then like interview those people's families and get different you know it's this never-ending thing so yeah like with human lives you can't really do that but with fiction i don't know i i like it's cool in fiction because that's that's what fiction is for (laughs) i don't know it's these these story where something happens and yeah i don't think they're trying to fully emulate the human experience it's just a chunk out of this character's lives like you could do with any with any person so yeah i don't know man like humans are weird we're really crazy but you know, this, you kind of touch on some stuff that leads us into the next topic, talking about pyramids and ancient civilizations and all that stuff. That That is part of the human complexity, the human story. Like, yeah, forget trying to put someone's single life into a story arc. Try putting humanity into a story arc, you know? It's not a smooth arc. There have been ups and downs, and it's it's crazy so yeah let's talk a little bit more about that by non-mainstream scientists and earlier advanced civilizations are you talking about people like graham hancock (laughs) i I can't even say that with a straight face yeah guys like graham hancock you know the guy who conjectured the idea that there was a, a global catastrophe that happened right around 12,000 years ago decades before science caught up with him to prove his point that guy yeah I don't know maybe he's done a thing or two maybe he spent some time researching some things and thinking about some things I'm not I'm not sure just to make such a bold claim in the face of everything that mainstream science had to say only to be vindicated in the end. <laughs> that's pretty cool, man. That's, that's a pretty boss move. So maybe, I don't know, maybe put a little respect on his name. Cause dude is a hell of a smart guy, uh, who spent a lot of time and energy going to these sites, actually going to them and reading through all the ancient texts, all the new texts, reading everything he could get his hands on and realizing, oh, wait, all these cultures around the world talked about this major catastrophe that happened around 12,000 years ago. Maybe we should believe them. Maybe we should believe these people and not say they were some idiot liars that, 
you know, weren't smart enough to figure anything out. <laughs> like these people were not very different from us. Uh, and we'll talk about how long we go back as a species here in a second. But yeah, man, like Graham Hancock, he's kind of a boss. He's got some out there theories. I don't know if I agree with all of his theories. Well, I know I don't agree with all of his theories, but yeah, <laughs> he makes a lot of sense. And then a major part of his argument, which science, you know, whenever they would try and rebut him, they'd always say, well, what happened to this? What happened to this ancient civilization? Where, where did, where's the evidence? And he'd say, well, there was probably a catastrophe. No, there wasn't. There was not. No, no. Oh, wait. Oh, shit. 12,000 years ago, we got hit by pieces of a comet or multiple pieces of a comet or some other crazy ass catastrophe that killed off. I, I don't know, 80% of all the megafauna in the world, three quarters, like shit was on fire all over the Northern hemisphere, man. It, it was this global decimation, sent the earth back into a mini ice age. It's called the younger dry ass event. You can check it out. It's been scientifically vetted over and over and over and over and over again over the past couple decades uh, especially in the past like 10 years, but yeah, man, Graham Hancock's a cool dude. <laughs> you would totally enjoy having beers with that guy. So be nice to him when you meet him. But anyway, dude, uh, you know, on my last episode, when we were talking about this, I, I, I put forth uh, an estimate and I said it was a low ball estimate, but I said, let's think about 80,000 years about humans being around for 80,000 years. And I knew that was a low number when I spit it out, but I didn't want to say anything too much to, so people would think I was crazy or anything, but Carl, he's got some, he's got some info for us. So here you go. Hey Joe, you got to push that back uh, maybe by a hundred percent. Apparently our ancestors, modern humans have evolved about 200,000 years ago, maybe 300,000, depending on, uh, what you read, but civilization as we know it only started, you know, with uh, the Mohenjo-Daro culture, uh, early Egyptian culture about 6,000 years ago. And then crazily, industrialization only started about in the, in the 1800s, right? So we accomplished a lot in a short time. And why is that? I think that's a really interesting study. You know, I think a lot of it is the ability to uh, live longer, the ability to have more leisure time, which leads to more thinking and more advancement to increase your leisure time and make things easier, right? The whole purpose of industrialization, definitely, you know, having gotten rid of like a forced human labor and the beginning of enlightenment um, has also caused a lot of innovation where I guess, right, the, uh, the start of thinking about the sort of industrialization process and science came about in, during the Age of Enlightenment in the 17th century, uh, where people are thinking more for themselves and not letting an institution think for them. I think it has a lot to do with uh, uh, these innovations. And maybe for a lot of our human history, we've had the sort of more class system, no upward mobility, and that has prevented um, innovation and uh, invention, right? Uh, 
but uh, because things have been easy for the upper classes at the expense of the lower classes. I don't know. It'd be an interesting study, and I'm sure there's books about that. I'm just spitballing, so there you go. Yeah, dude, like the Industrial Revolution. Like, think about it. It, It's only been 300 years, you know, and look at what we've done in 300 years. And as you say, humans have been around for 200,000 years. Think of how many 300-year periods there are in 200,000 years. A lot. (laughs) A whole lot, man. And, you know, you talked about um, the Age of Enlightenment and thinking, you know, having more time to think about that, about advancement and technologies and stuff. And yeah, I absolutely believe that people were doing that because as we'll talk about here in a second, you know, you talked about civilization as we know, it only goes back about 6,000 years or so. And I like the important part there is as we know it, as we now currently think it goes back that far, but there is mounting evidence as I said earlier, and I'll say again here in this call coming up from Joe, um, that civilization goes back longer than that. You know, if you look at the Egyptians list of Kings, they list hundreds of Kings and that's, you know, modern scholars look at that and go, Oh, that they were just making that up. They were just playing pretend there. Why would they do that? But also include the actual list of Kings, the ones that science agrees with that mainstream archeology span agrees with, but also make it part fake, but part real. That's weird. <laughs> That's we. I don't know, man. I don't know. So Yeah. You know, uh, you sent me a paper, or at least an abstract of a paper, I think, on a conjecture of why humans haven't advanced any farther than we have, you know, before now uh, in that whole vast gap of time. So I, I haven't read that yet, but I will. I will definitely check it out because I'd, I'd love to hear what they what they have to say. And I, I just don't know, man. I think it's hard to make that claim and even harder to back it up. But we'll talk more about all this stuff later on. So let's let's hear from Joe Salvador. Hey, Joey. It's funny that you uh, you mentioned the water erosion on the Sphinx, because I was I was actually just thinking about that while you were while you were talking. And I remember very distinctly when I was a, a kid seeing something it was like a show documentary or whatever uh where they talked about that and i remember like looking in the encyclopedia and being like oh wow yeah you know that's silly water erosion um yeah anyway i just thought it was interesting because i don't really hear too many people say that um and i i mean i i'm no geologist so i don't i assume that that's accurate information i don't know uh it certainly looks like water erosion but anyway if it is that would push the creation of this the sphinx back I don't know how many thousands of years, right? Like, when was the Sahara basically a tropical forest? Or tropical savanna? I don't know. Crazy stuff. Right, dude, Joe, that's the thing. So if that is rain erosion on the Sphinx enclosure and on the Sphinx itself, uh, from what we now are learning, 
there was rain and green in the Sierra as early as just 5,000 years ago. Um, and back around 12,000 years ago, funny how much stuff comes around to 12,000 years, uh, it was a green, lush land. And as Carl pointed out earlier, you know, they just dug a tank out of 50 feet of sand from the six day war, which wasn't all that long ago. Like think about what kind of stuff has been covered over in the past 5,000 years. We, we have no idea. We may never know. Cause it could be under like a hundred feet of sand and that shit's not getting picked up on any sort of radar or anything. Uh, you know, crazy it's just crazy but it it just it's mind-boggling to think about that all over the globe not just in egypt but all over the globe we're learning about civilizations being older and far more advanced than we give them credit for so yeah, let let's talk about. Uh, I don't know what we're talking about next. <laughs> yeah, I love hearing about advances in in archaeology. One of the coolest things is like what, how they're uh, implementing Doppler radar, <clears throat> and uh, there's some a little, few little anecdotes that I've seen in recent like YouTube's or watching uh, archaeological programs. One is that. Um, so the shifting of sands is quite incredible. So there is this documentary on how they dug out a tank from the, you know, I think the Six Day War uh, about 40 years ago that was in like 50 feet of sand. So imagine how much is buried after, you know, 3,000, 4,000 years of sand and dirt and rock. That's pretty incredible. The other thing too, and this will probably take a second message, and the other cool thing doesn't have to do with sand, but I'm going to call it sand too, is I saw this program on redefining where the Battle of Hastings took place, which happened about 950 or so years ago. And uh, there is this, like the British Heritage Site has this one location, but there is no archaeology at all. And in fact, the archaeology is further south and it kind of shows, and they've done some Doppler radar and showed like, like burial pits potentially and other uh, archaeological evidence where... Uh, William the Conqueror landed and then fought his way up, you know, through this uh, series of Saxon defenses um, to win the Battle of Hastings. So, so it's pretty fascinating that how the archaeological evidence and the advances in in technology are showing us new uh, new things about uh, our history, um, which I think is you know you got to follow the facts, follow where they lead, which is kind of cool. It that is super cool, man, and the stuff that archaeologists are doing with LIDAR and you were talking about with Doppler. It's amazing. You know, they're, they're uncovering archaeologists using LIDAR from drone footage and planes and stuff are finding, you know, hidden, these massive hidden stone cities in the middle of like the Amazon jungle, uh, which is totally changing the way we have to think about what that civilization was like. And when they were like that, you know, we like to imagine that there was never a big civilization down in South America, but that's turning out to be largely untrue, <laughs> like to a massive degree. 
we're we're seeing finding these massive cities where tens of thousands of people lived and they're all over the place and it, it's just crazy man um yeah i i love it because we're just learning so much more but your your first message was about sands so let let's go back to the desert and let's talk a little bit more about uh the sphinx although something has to be said about the innovation by sedentary our sedentary ancestors so i saw this program this will be controversial but eh. so i saw this program on how the development of agriculture and how it coincided suddenly with the uh, invention of a priest class and what happened or the archaeological evidence suggests and the writings suggest that suddenly the people who didn't want to work the fields got it in their minds that they could have other people work the fields and feed them with the idea that they were feeding the gods or the sun in this case, right? Or the earth mother um, or whatever. Although that that's probably a little different development because that's like fertility, et cetera. But, but definitely like the sun gods, you feed the, the sun, you feed us priest class. So effectively people who were lazy and didn't want to work the field started becoming priest class. Um, at least. Hey, Joe, I want to amend a comment that I made earlier. And I said that uh, after agriculture, I kind of infer, imply that after agriculture was developed, then religion kind of came about because of X. And it actually, I would say that religion predated agriculture. And it was, in fact, you know, when people were hunter gatherers first and would go out and gather all the food. Uh, then there were some people in the village or whatever that were like, I don't think I want to go gathering, but if you go gather for me, I can make offerings to the sun, the gods, whatever, uh, and they will help you to gather more. So I think that's kind of how that might have developed as opposed to, you know, and when the agriculture happened, then it became in much more grander scale, right? Now you donate to the temple and the granaries, et cetera. And you have, you have like a, a city state developed from agriculture. And this kind of maybe revelation or amendment came about by looking at some of the materials that I sent to you to answer the question, why, why didn't civilization not advance for 190,000 years and only in the last 10,000? And they're kind of talking about the rise of agriculture after the last ice age um, about 12,000 years ago. And then, it, you know, as the ice receded, then it left topsoil, um, which was able to be make people more, I don't know, not more sedentary, but develop crops and agriculture potentially, um, as well as getting rid of a lot of the megafauna that they hunted and gathered. So now they were forced to do agriculture. At least that's a theory. Um, I don't know how the like other human species kind of fit into that because about about that time is when the neanderthals were killed or assimilated so um yep stuff we don't know need a time machine right but like when do you go back to because in my imagination i'm just imagining a time machine that only works once <laughs> hopefully if we get a time machine it'll work more than just one trip because yeah what period do you go back to because uh, as you mentioned carl around twelve thousand years ago like i said earlier there was a younger dryas event Younger Dryas, and it was a mini ice age that lasted, I don't know, a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand years, but a mini ice age. 
And then when it receded, you know, you talked about how there was topsoil and that was when agriculture came around and less megafauna. But so here's the thing. That wasn't the first ice age that humans had experienced over the past 200,000 years. There have been several ice ages that humans have lived through, which would have had the same results, exposing topsoil, killing off megafauna. And that's why I don't really buy the fact that it's just been this straight line advancement of human civilization over 200,000 years. I don't, I, I don't believe it, <laughs> you know, and now that is, that's just my belief, right? There's no, we don't have any hard and fast evidence that says, yes, there were absolutely advanced civilizations before ours. We don't have that yet. We have hints we have rumors and ancient texts. New scientific evidence is pushing the human timeline further back of who was where when, which, you know, it's starting to show that people were much more well-traveled than we ever gave them credit for, our ancient, ancient ancestors. And yeah, you know, as we keep going, I think we're going to find eventually, oh, wait a minute. There were other civilizations before ours, and they got wiped out, you know, 100,000 years ago. And that's why we don't see it anymore. With these other civilizations, the other species, you know, you mentioned Neanderthals, but there's also the Denisovans. Um, there was the little hobbit people that lived somewhere in the South Pacific, I think, the... I forget their scientific name, but there were there was all types of different humans all living together on this planet at the same time, intermingling because uh, there is Neanderthal and Denisovan DNA in modern humans. It's things were crazy, right? Like things were absolutely crazy. So much different than we thought they were. Um, the new evidence, and that's that's what happens you know like the early thought when gobekli tepe was first discovered the early thought was this site was ritually buried because that's what the early evidence seemed to think that's what the guy who discovered it uh that's what he thought and so that was the prevailing theory but now through more study and more research it's looking like nah, might not have been ritually buried. Parts of it look like it was naturally buried by soil erosion because it's built on a hill. And so the dirt from on top of the hill just kind of came down. Um, and yeah, so that, you know, that's that's how science is supposed to work. Like you come up with a theory. Theory looks good. The, the evidence at the time fits the theory. And you're like, cool, let's go forward. Let's keep doing research, though. That's the key. You got to keep doing the research. You can't quit. And you find out new stuff. And it's awesome. <laughs> and it's totally history shaking. And I, I don't know, man. I don't know. That's why I have more faith in humanity than uh, some other people, I guess. Because we've done all this before. We're still here. Nothing new is going on. And... Yeah, yet we are still here as a species. We're surviving while the other ones aren't around anymore? Question mark? 
<laughs> Where could they be? We'll get into that in this next call. Uh, because as you figured out, that was not Runeslinger. <laughs> that was Carl Rodriguez. This one is going to be Runeslinger because it takes us off, pulls us back into gaming talk from this talk of ancient peoples. I figured that would be have this at the end. That's a better way to wrap this up. So, Anthony, Runeslinger, take it away, dude. Hey, Joe. It's Anthony calling as I'm rolling down the highway with a car full of dogs and a tank full of gas. Actually, now looking at the gas, I see that one of those things is a lie. So I guess this will have to be a very short call. I'm enjoying the, uh, the thread of conversation about uh, different ideas behind how things like the pyramids were built and when they were built and who built them and all that stuff. And it ties in with one of my great loves in role-playing, which are games like Hollow Earth Expedition and Leagues of Adventure, which set characters up to do things like, you know, explore this amazing world that we live on when it's at a point where their culture has not yet explored it, where much of the map is blank space. And what do they discover there? Pyramids! And how do they get there? And competing theories can actually be a part of play. I hope you getting cut off there wasn't you running out of gas, man. <laughs> also, that'd be weird if that's how this works. <laughs> anyway. You know, I, I think I would have a lot of fun with Hollow Earth, Hollow Earth Expedition, that game. I've, <clears throat> I've seen some reviews on it. I think Seth, I always mess his name up, but Seth Skorkowski, who I believe, Anthony, you have actually spoken to. I love that dude. If you ever see him again, tell him I love that dude. Um, he talked about it, and I, I, I love that, that whole idea of that setting from what I, you know, a bunch of esoteric cults and conspiracies and civilizations living underground and everything. Archaeology is just becoming a thing. It, it sounds awesome. I don't know anything about the ubiquity system, but that setting sounds really cool. I wonder if Jason would like that stuff. Jason, we we all know how much you hate high fantasy. You talk about it all the time. But what about something like that? Something like the Hollow Earth Expedition? Would that be something you would enjoy? Or do you just like strain, straight up, plain, vanilla, I want to play a history game. And it's going to be in the history. Um, yeah, I don't know. Because, you know, you talked about on The Geomologist, Jason, you talked about how you don't want any tentacles in your cowboys. If you want to play a cowboy game, you just want to play a straight-up cowboy game. But what about something like Hollow Earth Expedition, where it's basically the real world, but with some actual, like, fun, interesting, cool bits in there? <laughs> just giving you crap, man. Anyway, though, no, but what do you think? Uh, or is that beyond the pale for you? I don't know, man. I'm curious. Because I do want to run a game eventually that you will enjoy. <laughs> that you'll like the actual setting and game of. So let us know, man. Anyway, Anthony, thank you for bringing it back to role-playing, man. I like the way you tied it all together. That was dope. Uh, and yeah, the ubiquity system. I, I don't know. It sounds cool. That The Hollow Earth Expedition, that game sounds really, really fun. And maybe one of these days I'll actually check it out. Instead of just being like, man, that sounds cool. <laughs> All right. Well, let me, let, me get, let me get out of here. 
Well, thank you, everybody, for indulging me in more awesome conversation about our ancient past as humans, man. It is probably my favorite topic outside of role-playing games. I love talking about this stuff, reading about this stuff, learning about it, all of it. It's, it's fascinating, fascinating, and it gives me so much inspiration for games. Um, and just it, it fires my imagination right and that's that's what we're all looking for stuff that fires our imagination and our ancient past definitely does it does it for me you know I, I just love the idea of some folks hanging out in a cave you know a hundred friggin thousand years ago two hundred thousand years ago just hanging out in a cave eat some mushrooms up start tripping or like oh cool religion's a thing now and then <laughs> then religion's a thing the spirit world you know think about <laughs> like crazy stuff right like ayahuasca think about ayahuasca which is a crazy drug found in the amazon in south america it's a super crazy hallucinogenic but you know these people that live there their ancestors learned how to make this stuff, which come from two totally different plants that don't grow anywhere near each other and separately are very poisonous and will make you sick, if not kill you. And it's only when these two totally disparate plants are combined and prepared in a specific way is it safe and then you get the hallucinogenic effects. like. How they figure that out, right? Like, I have no idea. There's no way they should have been like, oh yeah, this plant over here goes with this plant that grows like three miles over in that valley. And then if we prepare them this certain way, it's gonna be awesome. I don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows, you know? The stories that they tell is that their ancestors were guided by the spirits and the spirits told them. I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that means, but it's fascinating. It's, it's crazy. All this stuff is amazing. And I guess I do have a little more to say because I just got finished uh, listening to uh, a news thing about Denisovan. So let me talk about that. I'll just throw this in because I just got finished listening to this story about this jawbone that was discovered on the Tibetan plains, Tibetan highlands. So like 3000 meters above sea level, 9,000 ish feet above sea level in a cave. They found this jawbone back in the eighties, but they didn't start really studying it till the 2010s. And it turns out it was a Denisovan jawbone and it's the most intact fossil of Denisovan <clears throat> remains that we have you know before that we just had a couple finger bones and stuff now we have this whole jawbone and you know they're they're thinking because they did uh there was no dna on it but they tested the proteins that were left on the teeth and they were thinking that you know there there are many tibetan well there are tibetans that have a certain gene in them that causes them to have less hemoglobin in their blood so they don't need as much oxygen which makes it easier for them to live at such high levels and they're thinking they probably got that from some of their denisovan ancestors 
because this jawbone they are dating back to like 160,000 years ago. And that shit's just nuts, man. Anyway, <laughs> I thought that was awesome and I wanted to throw that in. All right, well, that was fun. <laughs> But let me get out of here for real. Thank you so much to everybody for calling. Jason, thank you so much for your call. Carl, thank you. Joe, thank you. Anthony, thank you. Minion, thank you. Rob, to kick off the show, talking about Conan, who does go into pyramids, right? Like, we're talking about the world that Conan was living in. So it makes sense to have Conan in this show. I, at least I felt it did. All right, everybody. Whew, it was a long day. Today was the first Monday of my work three weeks of heck. Uh, so it was a lot. <laughs> but one down, 14 more days to go. We'll get it done. <laughs> we will get it done. Anyway, everybody, take care of yourselves. Be kind to each other because you never know. You never know. Uh yeah, man. You guys are all cool. And until next time, peace out. Okay, so I know I said that time it was final, but no, this time it is. So I just came to a mind-blowing realization. I was like, you know, earlier I mentioned, how many 300s would there be in 200,000? So I, I did the division. You know how many? 666. Of course. Of course it's 666. What are we doing? This is the 666th time we've gone through a 300-year cycle in human history uh, from the past 200,000 years. So what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean?